thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. My message title today is All the Times I Didn't Get Saved, because that's what I want to talk about today, all the times I did not get saved, and um, because it's a journey. So I'm very excited to share with you this morning. Uh, I think we'll, we'll have some fun, I think. I'm going to, this is a kind of a vulnerable series, because you can't really talk about the journey into faith without... Um, letting people know where you're at, where you've been at, and some of the story. So so anyway, catch a little of the um, Lisa story, and uh, hopefully it blesses you, and you are able to receive something from it this morning. So, But it's great to see you here. Thanks for coming to church. It's, it's good to worship together. Who needed that worship just then? I mean, whew. Um, so I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, we we didn't really go to church except for sometimes on Christmas or there was a there was a really brief period where Mum and Dad went to church. Um, I I grew up mostly in Sydney and then I moved to Canberra. Then I met Nathan. So all the world is well. I feel like I have a tiny ring. Yeah. Oh, you got it. You know what? Um, and so I was trying to. I know that when on the infrequent occasions we went to church, that I would have gone to the children's ministry, much like this. And um, I actually don't remember anything about the kids' ministry, Sunday school it would have been called, except that, well, for what I wore, which was a a green homemade corduroy skirt and a a white blouse with a Peter Pan neck with uh, black trim, so very fashionable, (laughs) just letting you know. But my, my memory of that actually is... Um, my brother and I were in the room, I guess, where kids' church or the children's ministry was being held, and there was a piano, and uh, I couldn't play at all, except for the Jaws theme, which is, you know, start, it's really the bottom two keys at a piano. You know, so, so I was playing my heart out, <laughs> the Jaws theme. Kind of looking at my brother. <laughs> He's looking at me. <laughs> Keep going. This is awesome. The skill level was very high, uh, in my in my opinion. And some lady opened a small kind of kitchen hutch window. Why you stop that racket, please? And that's it. <laughs> Reprimanded. Never played the Jaws theme ever again in my whole life. I can't even watch Jaws, actually. <laughs> Can I? No, I did better enough. Maybe later. But, uh, yeah, mode of healing. Uh, and so, actually, that's my first memory of church. Not any about the content, not about the goodness of God, not about this, any of the scriptures. It's actually about being reprimanded for playing Jaws. So, church. Uh, it's like the word was trampled underfoot almost, like it was snatched away from me. 
I remember another time, also when I lived in Sydney, and the ministers of the same church, I think I would have been about seven, okay, seven or eight. And, uh, you know, my family wasn't in a good way. Mum and Dad had a lot of strain in their marriage. We had three kids, and um, we didn't have a lot of money at that time. I, Bob, we'll share about it later, but we had issues with unemployment in the family. So getting a job and then some substance abuse led to not being able to retain that job. So that was the family, in and out of periods of money and not money. And um, I'm not exactly sure how this happened, and I don't even know if it would ever happen again, but um, the ministers of the church, and I mean, like, we hardly ever went to church. I I have no memory of church, except the ministers of the church took my brother and I away for a week at their coastal house uh, so that my mum and dad could work that week. And we had a week with them in just... um, Australian beach bliss. And, I, and I, I don't even know how it would work. Some random kids of this family that really barely come to church, that they would open up their holiday time, their holiday time, to accommodate my brother and I at seven and nine, little rat bags, playing the Jaws theme all the time. <laughs> and, uh, well, not really, because of the scarring, previous aforementioned scarring. <laughs> And in that, again, I don't actually remember the gospel being preached, but man, I felt it. You know, I, I knew the gospel. Um, I remember walking, this is the first time with them, I had Skittles for the first time, oh, an explosion of flavour. I thought they were going to be Smarties, and boy, did I get a shock <laughs> when I ate those Skittles. And um, they brought my brother, my brother and I gifts. They bought him a comic. I can't remember what they bought me, but I remember there was gifts and a gobstopper. There was a lot of food. And we went down to the river together. And I have this memory. Um, my glasses fell off in the river because we were swimming in the dark. And we stood there for hours trying to wait for them to wash in, which just wasn't going to happen. And man, the kindness of God that I felt. But who knows what it's called? Because if you don't know the words for it, you just know that 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 is a memory of obscene joy in my life and uh, wonderful kindness. Don't remember any scripture. I don't remember any Bible story. But I knew the kindness of God, even though I didn't know the name for it. Fast forward a little further. We moved to Canberra. I moved when I was about nine. And uh, sometimes my brother and I would go to the local youth group. It was called Rock Radically Outrageous Christian Kids. Oh, yes. And then when he went to high school, it was called Ark, After Rock Kids. <laughs> and uh, at the time, the church closest to my house, it's not, it wasn't really, a, it was an Anglican, a Church of England, Anglican church. Um, they met in a school, so they used another hall to do this. And this other new minister, whose name I can't remember, but the guy had red hair, and she had a car with very... The air conditioning was turned on very high, so it was very cold. So these funny things that you remember, you know. But um, she would pick me up and take me, and um, and whenever we could, they would include us. They'd call my parents on the phone, can we pick up your brother, you know, Ben and Lisa, and we'll take them away. And mum and dad were like, woohoo, an evening off. Yes, please. We'll definitely do that. And they'd we'd go and have some fun and dress up and, you know, be silly. And it was really fun, actually. And um, one... Uh, this okay. I'm going to say a rude word, but it's just just go with me. I've already dropped the F one once, so we'll just. <laughs> that was an accident. That was an accident. 
<laughs> no, I was trying to do a Spanish word that came out wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we went to a vet. So who's a vet student in the house? Woo! Anyone? Yes, okay. They're like... <laughs> we took a trip to the local vet as a youth group when I was in year four, which is P3, which is... Oh, man, math, okay, that. It's about 10. I was about 10. And we walked around, the vet had a panda, a toy panda on the operating table. All the lights turned on and he was suturing the panda uh, so the fluff didn't come out. And he took us on a tour of all the animals and he showed us a dog who'd got his leg caught in a bicycle somehow. So the leg had been snapped and so he was trying to allow the dog to recover. An altercation, we'll say, with the bicycle. And they asked myself and the minister's son uh, to on the Sunday, give a talk about it. And as a church lady, you think, this is very strategic. We can get that kid to church on Sunday morning if we invite them to talk. And we can get their parents there as well because they'll come to hear their kid. Because people just want to, whatever way you can, get people into the house of God and then let the Lord do the rest. So we, we did that. I went and I, I practiced with my mum. We had a typewriter. She helped me type it out. My, the story of how we visited the vet as a youth group so we could encourage the group. And it was my mom who introduced me to the word altercation, which is not a word a 10-year-old would normally say. But because we weren't really churchies, like I really wore my best clothes and I had to pretend to be more articulate than I was. So I got up there and I told the congregation about the dog who had had an erection with a bicycle. And then I hopped off and a few ladies came down. Very good job. Very, oh, that was lovely. And I walked home that day just knowing that something wasn't quite right. <laughs> but not quite. Because obviously there's been this word floating around in my head, you know, school or whatever. And I said to my mum, mum, what's an erection? And then as soon as I said that, I went, oh, like the, embar the weight of the embarrassment of what had just happened suffocated me, <laughs> literally suffocated me. And uh, as the weeks went on, the youth group would call, oh, we'd love to see Lisa again. There is literally no way in the world I am ever stepping foot in that place ever again, ever, ever again. I was so embarrassed. I was so mortified. And, uh, and my family would laugh about it. They would like, oh, I can't believe he said that. They didn't want to go to church either. And it was more that all these ladies said, great job, Lisa. And it just felt so patronizing. So I didn't. I actually didn't go back to church again for about three years or four years. It had such a profound impact. And it's not that I wasn't hungry for the truth because my mind was... You know, as the Lord was drawing me in, I felt a pull towards the things of God. But this, um, it was this embarrassment that I felt. Everybody will know me as that girl who said that thing. As soon as they look at me, that is all they will see. And I just thought I, that would be my identity and I would never move past that. And as a young, I mean, you know, 10 years old, it felt huge, actually. It felt like... You know, when you do a reply all email or something by accident, you know, or you 
pocket dial or something. I don't know. You like someone, you know, an ex-girlfriend's post from like three years ago. And you're like, oh, damn, how do I take that off? But it, it was enough for me to not go back, even though the pastor still called me. We'd love to see Lisa. I got, I got cards. I got handwritten notes. I got invitations coming out the ears. I just, you know, and, and I just couldn't bear it, actually. And uh, through a series of events uh, later, when I was about 15, I received an invitation from a girl I had known had gone to that church to come and come to the youth group. It's really fun. Why don't you come along? And so I went. And in that place, uh, actually, no one ever talked to me about it again, except my family, who just persistently mocked me. But I know through all of these moments that seed was being sown over my life. Sometimes I heard it and remembered it. Sometimes it was like trampled or quickly taken away and I have no recollection of it. Sometimes it sprouted and burned up. Sometimes the cares, the embarrassment, I would say, the anxiety, the social anxiety, was like um, choking the potential out of me. And this is how Jesus talks about moments when people encounter the good news of the gospel, that it's like a farmer sowing seed. He's got a lot of it, and he's sowing seed, and it just falls in all different places. And there are some environments, there are some periods in your life, there are some lives that are ready to receive the gospel, and others where it's trampled, it just it doesn't, it doesn't even go into the soil, it's just like, whew, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. Not, you know, just, it just doesn't even, it doesn't hit them. It's just flown away like that. Never remember it. There's other people who are like, yes, so into it but just can't get embedded into the things of God and they, it just withers because pressure comes and it withers. Jesus talks about this. He talks about a seed that actually falls somewhere with potential, but it's coupled with weeds. Who knows whether they're seen or unseen at the time of sowing? It's not like, oh, look, there's a, um, you know, a, a vacant plot of land that might already have weeds. It's, you don't actually know sometimes if, you know, we don't know when you've got weeds because you actually try and rid yourself. So, but for whatever reason, the the weeds come and they actually strangle the potential of 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 the plant. And Jesus talks about it being either the anxieties or the cares of this world or the lusts and desires. You know, for wealth, he talks about specifically. So either can actually cripple the potential. And then he also talks about seed that falls on good soil, seed that falls where it's intended to fall, seeds that in fact the farmer, the, the farmer plants and it can grow and it has potential to grow, a heart that is ready. So that's, I'm reading here, if you want to make a note, that's a summary of Matthew, or it's written a few times in the scriptures, it's a summary, um, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the seeds and then Jesus goes on to explain, as I've just done, what he's actually trying to say is that, well, I've made some general observations about seeds. A farmer's there to sow. The word is there to sow. The gospel is ready for sowing. The gospel is embedded in the, in the seeds and it's ready for sowing. A farmer doesn't go out 
I'm using a male pronoun, but I mean both male and female. A farmer doesn't go out, <laughs> I've got to think about that, with one seed in his pocket. He doesn't leave the house ready for work that day with a single seed. In fact, he's got bags of them. And we don't go into our lives sharing the gospel, and we don't, in fact, in our own life, encounter the gospel through a single seed. I don't believe it, through a single seed, because the farmer goes to sow. So there's actually more than one seed that we can actually sow into people's lives and that have actually in our lives been sown. The second note I make about seeds is that the seeds themselves are consistent. There's no variance in the seed that Jesus talks about. He talks about the variance in the conditions in which the seeds are planted and the different outcomes that happen. But the seed is consistent and the seed is also consistently good. It's a good message that we have. The seeds are intended for the field. They are not intended for the alleyways and for the dry ground. The seeds are intended for the field. And who's ever walked through fields? Like, it's like a, a skinny path and then wide fields. I remember I was talking to Nathan about years ago we lived in Cambridge and we would ride our bicycles through to Addenbrooke's Hospital, if anyone knows anything about that. And there's these fields on either side and there's a guy who would go out there and practice bagpipes because it's so vast, it's so open. And you'd ride up, whether you're walking or riding, it was the fastest route to the, the best bus stop. He would, he would be over here and you would be approaching, so he would turn, and then as you kind of came past him, he would just turn, so you never saw, he, you never, <laughs> you never saw his face. It was this mystery bagpiper. But it just reminds me that the, seal, the fields are wide. The fields are intended to be planted in. And they're so big. They're bigger than the rocky ground. They're bigger than the rocky ground. And my fourth... Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. My fourth note about the seeds is that they have future... Future reproduction, multiplication. They actually have future embedded invisibly within them. If you open up an apple seed, it's got a hard brown bit in a teardrop shape, and inside it's just these fibres. It doesn't look like more apples, but there are generations of apples embedded within that tiny seed. The f in, in fact, the future that they themselves won't see, it's a future of multiplication. A seed grows more than one to reproduce itself. You are a sower of seed in your world. You are somebody who can bring hope, life, goodness, kindness, the word of God, the gospel to people in your lives. You are the light of the world. The seed you scatter, be it small or large, you know, in ones or tens or hundreds, it may fall in a variety of different environments, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't scatter it. When I reflect on my journey, there were many seeds. As I, you know, I tried to kind of cover that as I started. There were many opportunities that I heard the gospel and there were many believers praying and sowing and praying and sowing and sharing and expressing the gospel to me. We together co-labor in sowing the seed 
of the good news of the, of the gospel. And man, it is good news. It is such good news. You are sowing seeds. We're moving people. I mean, um, Nikki Gumbel, I think, talks about it like this. When you share the gospel with someone, and it's, it's not only about you know, arriving at a place where you put your hand up. It's just encouraging to move along. You're talking about it moving like along a, a platform. Maybe you've taken them in your conversation, your expression of love towards them, a little closer to knowing God. That's okay. Just bringing life and bringing light to them. <laughs> you might not be the person who prays this kind of sinner's prayer with them. Actually, you know how I got saved? After I'd been at church for a few months, my youth leader, Jala was her name, we went out and had a lunch together at the local shopping mall. Uh, also remember what I ate that day, fellow roll things, delicious. And uh, we sat down on a sofa in the top of the shopping centre and she said to me, Lisa, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I am. How do you know? I just feel good. Because <laughs> I became American. I just feel good. I feel good. And she said, just, just, this is what she said to me, just so you never doubt it, let's pray together and commit your life to God. So there, 17th of March, 1995, on some sofas in the middle of a shopping mall, I gave my life to Jesus. Because that moment was awesome, and the angels rejoiced. But th that is on the back of so many different people praying and sowing, and praying and sowing, and praying and sowing. And she was able to take me across the line of saying, yes, unequivocally, I choose you, God, forsaking all others, I choose you, God. She was the one who prayed with me, but she just, she just sealed the deal. Really, there were so many people journeying along. I remember hearing the story of Jackie Pullinger, this uh, amazing woman doing ministry overseas with drug addicts and saying um, long-term ministry um, overseas, ministering to very deprived people, depraved people. And she would say short-term missionaries would come in and they'd see people saved everywhere. And, you know, she just said, I've got to sow this seed in season and out of season. John 4, 36 talks about, you know, some are sowing, some are reaping. But what I love is it says the sower and the reaper rejoice together. It's a it's a team effort. It's a, it is a, the fruit, we're harvesting the fruit, which is eternal life, and the sower and the reaper rejoice together. It doesn't matter if you're the person who says a prayer with somebody. If you are part of their story, if you are part of scattering seeds, you will share in the, in the joy of seeing somebody led to Jesus. And in fact, Mark 4, 26 Jesus also says the kingdom of God is like a, a guy. There's a lot of references to seeds. He says he scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day he sleeps and wakes and the seeds sprout and grows. And though he doesn't know how, all by itself the earth produces a crop. When we strip it back, we actually have no idea because it's, it's a heavenly thing. It's a divine interaction that God has with people. We just do our part. We actually know how it happens. And whether we're reaping, whether we're sowing, we just let God do the growing. We try them, so that's good. The sower and the reaper 
rejoice together. <laughs> Let me say this. I love these scriptures. Romans 10, 13 to 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is like this scattering seeds, but they won't, they won't receive it unless they hear it. And they won't hear it unless someone says it to them. Like literally just says it to them. They won't, they won't hear the gospel unless someone says it to them. And, and, if, uh, and to say it, they, people, need to speak, people need to speak it and they need to be sent out to speak it. So unequivocally, I would say to this beautiful group of people in this room, you are sent. You are sent as a sower of seed. You are sent. Today you are sent as a sower of seed in whatever way you can to be the light of and the hope and the life for people. So I wanted to share three kind of hows. Where's Duncan? Is he here? Yeah. So um, this is partly inspired by you, Duncan, a message that you gave at one of your Edinburgh City Mission things. First, the first how is the kindness of God. And why I say that because Duncan impressed upon me when he was sharing to the group of all different churches about the work um, that they do in the community through the Basics Bank, Edinburgh City Mission, missional outreach work. It demonstrates the kindness of God uh, to people and just that hit me like a something that hits something else. <laughs> you know, there's a... that St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel all the time and use words if necessary. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love and kindness is one of them. And Jesus, um, the, the Scripture says, against, the, against this, there's no law. There's, no, there's nothing to prevent you. There's no restrictions on showing kindness to people, being kind to people, to, to individuals, to, to single people, to, to tens of people, to hundreds of people. We can actually show the love of God in us through our kindness, Random acts of kindness, intentional acts of kindness, both everything that falls in between. To those who oppose you, to those who curse you, to those who need you desperately, to those who can offer you nothing in return, you can offer them kindness. Community-wide, in schools, and you know, um, with the homeless, with people who are in need, with a friend who needs babysitting, with someone who needs 20 pounds just to get them through the month, you can show kindness to people, an encouraging word, inviting someone to a meal, getting involved in things like soul food and the Edinburgh City Mission work and other things like that, praying for people, advocating for them, advocating for people who themselves have no, vo no voice, making new friends and also being vulnerable with them. Alan shares with me a lot that when he was working in the mission field, you know, if someone's 
car broke down, you say, don't go to your believing friends. Go and actually be yourself vulnerable to the people in your network. So it's not a, I've got all the power, I've got all the answers, let me help you. But in fact, let's build relationship and be vulnerable together and share the journey together so that I can give you what I have and receive, give and receive in friendship with you. So my first point is kindness costs you nothing. Let's share the gospel through our acts of kindness. My second point, Nathan already said this phrase today, but ride the wave of popular culture. Ride the wave of popular culture to normalise the good news of the gospel. That, that, I just wrote that because I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> it's actually normal for you to have faith. It's normal for you to have an expression of faith. It's normal for people to ask questions, big questions, about faith things. It doesn't need to be private. That's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't need to be. It's not a private matter. It is deeply private. It's deeply personal. But it's not just for you. It's not just like, it's not weird to to share the gospel. It's not weird to bring it into your normal life because it is part of your normal life. So I say hijack popular culture to normalise a life of faith. Bring the struggle of all the people into the light, the struggle for meaning. So to this I say thank you Kanye West that releases a CD called Jesus is King and all the lyrics therein because the guy's kind of crazy. I mean, he's, he's got I mean, such a public life but he is putting into popular culture, Jesus is king. So it's this, you can ride the wave of that and create opportunities for discussion with people. And maybe five years ago, so we're like post-popular culture, Justin Bieber, if you're of that, you know, if you like him and like his tattoos. <laughs> I think this, I, the thing is, the gospel's everywhere if, you, if you're looking for it. I'm watching The Crown because I love that show, because I want to know more about the Queen, and that's my best source of information. <laughs> I'm sure it's the most accurate representation of the Queen and her life and things. But I love that in there, the faith journey, her faith, which I believe to be real and substantive, it's, it's so normalised. The Queen has faith. Let's, we can talk about it. We can watch it on TV. We can say, hey, did you notice... What do you think about that? Just creating opportunity. Ride the wave of what is topical. Thank you to the Crown. Just recently read Jane Eyre for the first time. Watched the movie. So this, I was touched by some discussion of endurance in that book. And so for me, it's creating opportunities to talk about what it's like to be under pressure and endure. Because it's everywhere. You can turn anything into an opportunity to share the gospel. Thank you, Christmas, that we will take back, and Easter, which is about Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Corner, for being a place in the city that has a name because of what happened there in the past, and it can create opportunities to normalise a faith and God in society. Thank you, climate change, for reminding people that we are custodians we are called by God to care for this world that we live in. So let's 
ride the wave of that very serious issue and tell people how Jesus, how the Lord wants us to deal with that issue because he's interested in it because the scriptures write about it, talks about our interaction and also more than that, how God is, will restore all of creation. Issues on social justice and human dignity and who people are and the inherent value that people have. All of these things, people talk about all this stuff and we can be part of the narrative, sharing the good news of Jesus in every day. So, yeah, hijack popular culture, hijack things that are important to people as a vehicle to share the gospel, share kindness, share culture. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means... I might win some. He's motivated to connect with people on their level to win them to Jesus. Have a third point, going to miss it. (laughs) I call this message all the times I didn't get saved. And the reason I did that was because Not every single time you share the good news about Jesus, someone's going to go, oh, wow, whoa, let me change my life. But you can be sowing seeds, which we have already established are consistently good and filled with life, filled with potential, filled with future, filled with future for their children's children. doesn't matter where it lands, just sow the damn seed. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. Don't get disheartened. Don't neglect to sow just because... Think about this. I mean, we are in a church environment here where some of you will journey with us for many years and others will be here for six months or three months or four years or five years and we won't see the fruit that is produced in your life through our relationship with you. But you're still worth it. You're still worth our love and our investment And there are people in your life who you won't see, you actually will move away and life will happen and you actually won't see the harvest, the fruit in their lives, but they are still worth it. They're still worth sowing, praying, believing, encouraging, building life into them. Just because you don't see it, just because someone else harvests over there, man, rejoice together with them when you hear about it. I want to finish today. I want to read to you an email I wrote. I think it was in about 2011. That sounds about right. To the minister who I tracked down, who took my brother and I on a holiday. So, might cry, already feel it up in my... 75% of my eyeballs are about to cry. So, I want to put up a photo because then it gives you something to look at instead of me. Dear Gary and Patricia... That's me, a while ago when I only had two. My family and I used to attend your congregation in Epping in Sydney when I was a child. I'm sure you'll remember me. My name is Lisa Oliver, in brackets, Wright, and I have a brother and sister, Ben and Petter. When I was about 10, my family moved to Canberra and occasionally 
Eric and Norma would visit our family. They were members of the church that still kept in contact with our family. Can you believe that? When they were passing through, they came and visited us. On one occasion, they delivered me a letter from you, which in my adolescence wisdom, I didn't do anything about. They'd written to me, they'd heard about me finding the Lord and they'd written to me a letter and I did nothing because, you know, teenager. I suspect this email is something of a response, albeit 15 years later. I found the Lord in 1995 and attended my local Anglican church for many years. I married when I was 21, so now I'm 23, and have been attending a church with my husband now for over 11 years. This is C3 Church, where we went together. I have two beautiful children, Samara, four, and Toby, 18 months. They are my joy. My husband, Nathan, works as a registered nurse and also as a youth and young adults pastor in our local church. We're making plans to church plant in the coming years, and he's also undertaking theological training. As for my family, my sister Petta told, told them about that, my brother and um, mum and dad separated, and mum remarried. She lives in Batemans Bay. Recently, someone dear to me passed away and started me thinking about my natural family and my spiritual family. This woman, Rhonda, what's her name, was a spiritual grandmother to me. She was kind. She showed, she was kind to me and prayed for me and taught me about Jesus. Although I don't recall much, I don't recall each Sunday my family attended the church in Sydney with you, or even if it was very frequent. I have memories of you both, and in particular, spending time with you on holiday. I know that you made an investment in me, planting seeds about Jesus, and I thank you. My life is so full because he is my portion. So I wanted to say hello after 15 years and thank you and thank you and thank you again. Because you don't know where it's going to land. They wrote back to me. I'll put the other photo up. How lovely to receive your email along with your photos. You know, when you, I, I remember that face. You know what I mean? Oh, man. We certainly remember you and Ben and the time we took you to our house where we now live and I remember how you lost your glasses in the river. We were quite upset when this happened because we knew your family did not want the expense of replacing them and you really needed them, which I do. Can't see it. You, your email has greatly encouraged us, especially to know that you and your family are believers. And she goes on. This photo was taken at my mother's 100th birthday party. I love that. What a dorky family. <laughs> Colour-coordinated and everything. I love that. Let it be an encouragement. That's what I wanted to share with you today. There's so many times I didn't get saved, but, the, but people still kept persisting. It was a lot of different people. And I believe this is a story where the sower and the harvester rejoice together, as God does rejoice. So don't give up. You can be kind. You can connect the goodness of God with every area of life because he's interested in every area of your life. You can be a sower of seed.